Uh, if you've been with us for any time, you know that uh, we have been in the book of Ephesians, been in a series, um, uh, Made New to Live New. And the series uh, kind of broke, it's broken up into two basic halves. The first half of the book of Ephesians is about what God has done. Um, it's all about what God did. Uh, it's a done deal. Um, God delivered us. Um, he secured us. He, uh, he predestined us. He, he chose us. God did all of that in Christ. And the second half of the book where we're at now is what do we do? How do we live in light of that truth? I guess um, the question I'd like to ask you this morning, start out, is where were you or do you remember when you first realized that the, the world is out to get you? That uh, the world is a hostile place. In fact, it's trying to kill you. I'll tell you where I was. It was 2003. I was living in a village in Japan. Um, I was there for a couple of years, and I was teaching English. And I didn't know the language. This was only maybe two or three months since I'd been in country. And um, it was, uh, I, I, was, I was really lonely, because uh, I, I didn't have any really Japanese friends yet, because I couldn't speak with them very well. And... Um, and most of the, the expats uh, were just a little bit too much for me. And so I, I, just felt, I just felt really alone. And so what I did is what every good expat from the United States of America does. And on Tuesday night, I drove to McDonald's. Uh, Macudonaldo is what they call it. Um, and there was a McDonald's uh, in Shibukawa, which is a, n- a neighboring um, town. And it was right next to the Kainz Home, which is Kainz Home, which is their version of Home Depot. And uh, so there was the Home Depot parking lot, and there was the, the, the lone McDonald's, the golden arches shining out against the darkness. And so I went, and I, and I, I ate there. And as I was eating there... Um, it started to rain outside. Really, it was monsoon season, and, and so the rain started pouring down, and I, I didn't want to get out in, into it, and I had a book with me, so I just uh, sat there and listened to my music and read my book and chomped down on that double cheese, double cheese baguette, and, uh, you know, the, the 10-piece nugs and the, um, and the hot mustard, the large fry, I mean, just, you know, really, really soaking it in, and, um, so I, I, I just lost track of the time, and pretty soon uh, McDonald's closed, and so they kicked me out. It was like 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night. It's raining outside, really, really thick. Um, and so I go and I get into my, uh, my, my old, like, 1994 Honda. I don't remember what the make was. I don't have it in America. But, and, and I got in, and, and in my memory, in my memory, I'm driving on the right side of the road. I know for a fact I was actually on the left side of the road because that's the, the law there. But it's weird how your memory uh, changes things. I remember uh, first, the first time I thought about driving in Japan, I was like, wait a minute. I know that's not right in my head, but there it goes. Anyway, I do remember I was, on the, I, I was driving, and uh, the, uh, I lived near a bunch of um, farmland, and so there were a bunch of rice paddies everywhere, and the roads are very, very narrow. And if you've ever seen um, rice paddies, the way that they do it is, is they're growing the rice, and then that they soak it in water, and the water needs to spill over, right? And so they have these really deep ditches um, on the side of the road to, to handle all the overflow of the water. And so I'm driving on this narrow road, getting from Shibukawa back to Akagi Village, where I lived, and um, I'm really full, feeling good, a little bit better, <laughs> not as lonely. Um, and, and as I'm coming, a large truck is coming towards me. And it's really dark. See, I had this 94 Honda. The, the windshield wipers had never been changed. And so, um, so if you've ever had old windshield wipers, you know that they're totally ineffective. And so all the water is just being splashed everywhere, and all I can see are these bright lights getting closer and closer. And so I'm afraid I'm going to get hit. So I jerk to the left, um, and my car like starts to straddle the, uh, the ditch in between the road and the rice paddies. And it just... <laughs> 
And there, I mean, this, this is, there, there are no street lights. This is, this is country. Um, so it's pitch dark. And, and, and the water is just, um, just coming down on my windshield. And um, I pull out my cell phone. And I realize um, that I've only got about three numbers. And only one of those numbers is local. local. Um, that's for the Kiwi Kuinkai, the, uh, the, the Board of Education, which is closed because it's 10 p.m. And, and the other two are um, expat friends who live elsewhere in the country. And I'm looking around, it's pitch dark. My car's beached. I'm probably 10 miles, 15 miles from home. And I realize no one can help me. And if the wrong thing happens, I'm done. The world is a hostile place. And it's out to kill me. That's just the natural world, right? I mean, you know, rain coming down and, 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 and all of that and, and exposure and whatnot. What's so interesting is that we all know that once you get into the social world, things get worse because people are out to get you too. Um, in the ancient Near East, uh, this was especially prevalent. It's a little, little bit less for us because we have all the, the conveniences of, of the first world. Um, we have, uh, it's very rarely do we starve in this culture. Um, so we, we don't worry about that as much. But we do understand what it's like to be around people. And people are always kind of out to get us. In the ancient Near East, there was this interesting um, thing. So we, we talk about the thieves on the cross, right? Uh, the thieves on the cross. Well, the Romans didn't just crucify anybody, okay? You really kind of had to mess up pretty bad to get crucified. And, uh, and, and so when Jesus is there, he's surrounded by two guys. And depending on the translation, you hear like robber or you'll hear like um, criminal, right? Well, really what um, probably is going on is the Romans typically only crucified you if you were either a brigand I think, I, I, in, my, in my heart, I want to say brigand, but I, I looked it up on Google. I pressed the, um, the button, the YouTube, for correct pronunciation. Apparently, it's brigand. So I'm going to do my best. Brigand, uh, per, people who lay, lay in wait, gangs of thieves who, um, who lie in wait out um, in, the, in the wilderness to get you as you're traveling, or, or revolutionaries or insurrectionists. Those are the two types of people that typically get crucified by Rome. So Jesus, from the Roman perspective, was a revolutionary. He was an insurrectionist. He was replacing Caesar, and so they had to put him down. But the guys next to him probably weren't. They were probably people who made their living by being out um, on the side of the road behind a boulder um, and waiting for an unsuspecting person to walk down the path and then jumping out and then stealing everything they have and probably killing them. One of the reasons they have to do this is because they live in a world that is very difficult to survive in. It's very hostile. They don't have Macadonaldos and kinds of home. They don't have that stuff. And so if they're at the wrong place in the social strata, they might have to come up with interesting, bad, nasty, naughty ways to get what they need to survive. And so the social world is a hostile place because there's people out there who are looking to live like brigands, to get, take advantage of you. And what, what did these, these thieves on the cross, these brigands besides Jesus, what kind of stuff do you do when you live uh, by the code of the brigand? Well, you lie. You pop out on the street and you're like, hey, friend, I see that you're traveling from Jericho to Nazareth. Surely I can accompany, if you, accompany you for a while. We'll chat along the road. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. And then they tell you all kinds of stories about their life and what they do and how hard it is and blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, they're asking you for money. 
And the next thing you know is as soon as you, re- you refuse it, their two buddies come out on the path and they've got knives. And pretty soon, you're, you've got nothing left and if you're lucky, you're alive. So the, the brigands, they lie. They lie, they cheat, they steal. That's a, they nurse grudges, they execute revenge. If you live the life of a brigand, you're constantly fronting because if anyone sees weakness in you, if anyone sees that you're... Um, that they can take advantage of you, they will. And so you're always going after them. You're, 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 you're in their face as much as you can be. And if someone does you wrong and you can't get back to them right then, you nurse a grudge. You wait on it. You let it simmer. And then when the time is right, you plant the knife in their back in the dark. And then, then people know they shouldn't mess with you. That's how brigands live. They lie. They nurse grudges. They execute revenge. They steal. There's no other way to get what they, can, what they need. And so they take it. They use their words as weapons, backbite, rumor-mongering. They see a target. They see someone they see as an enemy, someone above them, someone they want to get to. They, they undermine them with their language and their words. They spread as many rumors, as many lies as they need to. They live lives of cruelty and hate. Cruelty and hate because, man, you can't trust anybody. And the people you do trust are probably going to turn on you. And so, in a hostile world, we are tempted to adopt the code of the brigand to survive. Friends, this is just as true now as it was for the thieves on the cross next to Jesus. We, we clean it up, and we make it a little bit nicer, and we don't, it's not as, it's not as ugly, and it's not as dirty, there's fewer knives in the dark, although if you go the wrong place, that's how people live still today, even in the first world in the West. But here, for us in South Orange County, it's a little bit, a little bit less of knives in the dark, and a little bit more climbing the corporate ladder. It's a little bit more finding that person who shamed you on social media and find a way to take them down. It's making sure you get yours. And if you have to take it by force, you do. Because if you don't, how are you going to make it? In a hostile world, we are tempted to adopt that code, the code of the brigand, to survive. The mentality is you do it alone. What's great about this, and we've seen it on Survivor. There's apparently a show called Survivor. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. On this show, people live on an island, and in order to win, they have to vote each other off or something like that. And so they form these alliances. Like, oh, well, we'll work together to get Jimmy off the island. And they work together, Jimmy goes off the island. And then you get him. You turn on him. You throw him under the bus. You have partnership. Sure, you have alliances. You have a community. But it doesn't last. It's not forever. It's just until you get what you need and you move on. Is this the best way to live? Let's look at our text today. This is Ephesians 4, 25 to 5, 2. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who used to steal, steal no more, but rather let him work working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. And let no corrupt, backbiting, rumor-mongering word proceed out of your mouth, but instead what's good and necessary for building people up, edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, cacophony, noise, and all evil speaking be put away from you, and all that hate too. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. If you were listening, those first couple of verses, um, and maybe if we could get to that uh, slide, um, 425, it's crazy how, how the code of the brigand is right behind everything Paul is targeting here. I mean, he talks about all these things. He talks about lying. He talks about nursing grudges and executing revenge. You know, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. If the sun goes down in your wrath, what happens? It bubbles up and you start thinking about how you got wronged and what you're going to do to get back. The stealing, the backbiting, the rumor-mongering, the cruelty, the hate, it's all there. Paul is straight up calling out the way of the, of the thief, the way of the robber, the way of the brigand. Because that's how people live. Notice he's, he's not talking, well, he's talking to Christians. Isn't that weird that we have to tell Christians, don't live like brigands? Is it? Who, who populates the church? Is it people who are really great at life? Or is it people who need to be forgiven for some naughty stuff? Paul recognizes that we're the kind of people who have to come in, who have to be changed in these ways because it's natural. We recognize, we've all had that side of the road moment in the rain, no cell phone contact, no hope. We've all been there and we've all recognized that this world is out to get us and if we don't act the right way, this self-reliant, the vicious way, we might not make it. We've all been there. So what do we do instead? I just want to dig into a few things here. You'll notice in the New King James, there's some quotes here, right? Quote, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. That comes from Zechariah 8. You don't have to turn there. There's a pew Bible if you want to. But I just want to tell you a little about what's going on in Zechariah 8. Zechariah 8, the Lord is talking to Israel. Israel's been bad. And Israel is, is, is just not, things are not going well. And things are going to get worse. But in Zechariah 8, the prophet gives the people this hope that it's not always going to be like this. He starts telling them about what we might call, what we might think of the day of the Lord. For us, you know, when we're thinking about, we're talking the return of Jesus, right? When everything is set right, when the whole world is the way it ought to be. In Zechariah, he said, God says through the prophet, he says, it's not always going to be like this, it's going to get better. And then he has this totally interesting moment where he says, he's just describing what it's going to be like when God comes back and saves the people and puts them back on the right path. He, he says, these are the things you are going to do. Future tense. A lot of times um, it gets translated as you ought to do, but it's really not. In Hebrew, it's just a fact. God's telling a fact about the future kingdom when, when everything's set right. This is what you're going to be like. This is how you're going to act. You're going to speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. You're going to start telling the truth to each other. That's weird. Shouldn't that be kind of modus operandi? Shouldn't that be easy, telling the truth to each other? Well, no, it, it's actually not, because we all know what it's like when we're telling the truth. We're exposed, right? We understand the danger of telling the truth. 
And yet, God says, when everything's set right, when it's the way it ought to be, this is going to be natural. You're going to open yourselves up. You're going to expose yourselves. You're going to be honest with each other because you're not afraid of the shame that's going to come with it. You're not afraid of rejection when people know the real you. You you, you don't have to lie about your performance because you're going to be in a place where failure no longer means being fired and losing everything. Have you been in that situation where you feel like, man, your, your job or whatever, where it, it just feels like if you do the wrong thing, you've got a manager that's, you know, Duh. and you recognize, you understand, if that manager finds you out and knows you for you, you're gone. And so you doctor the reports, you do whatever it takes so that no one recognizes who you are. Because if they do, you're finished. God says, in my kingdom, in the way that things are going to be on the last day, you don't need to worry about that anymore. We are going to live lives of openness and truth because you don't have to be afraid. And now Paul's saying that future has started. Church is where this begins to happen. He quotes, he wants, to, he wants us to clue into the fact that this inaugurated future, this heavenly kingdom, it's just begun. Take part. Get involved. This is a place where you can be yourself. And we will not reject you because you are not perfect. You can make mistakes here. And we'll learn from them. You don't have to carry your shame here. Because we've all had it too. That second quote that Paul has here. Be angry and do not sin. Um, it, it, comes from, uh, it comes from Psalm 4. Be angry and do not sin. In, uh, in this psalm, it, it's this, it starts out as a complaint. Uh, it starts out as, as a quote from the, the psalmist saying, hey, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my... Have mercy. Hear my prayer. How long, you sons of men, how long will you get away with your naughtiness? How long will you, uh, will you glory in shame? Will you love worthlessness? Seek falsehood. And, the, and that quote ends. And then the worship leader comes and, and, and tells the psalmist, David, someone tells him, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call him. Be angry and don't sin. That quote right there. Be angry and don't sin. Meditate with your heart, within your heart on your bed and be still. So the psalmist is sitting out there and there's people getting away with all kinds of terrible things and, and saying, what am I supposed to do about it? I've got to fix this. I've got to, it can't go on. It can't go on. And, and then the worship leader steps in and says, Shh, just, just go Meditate on the Lord. Be still. Quiet down. Stop being angry. Why? God's going to take care of it. You don't have to. Not your job anymore. That's God's job. To take care of business. To fix all, all the problems. To set the wicked straight. To punish them. To keep you know, nastiness on. That's what God does. You don't, you're freed up. You're freed up just to live. You don't need to worry about it. That's, that's not easy. Let go, let God, right? I'm going to let go of my anger. I'm going to let go of my bitterness and just let God take care of business. I, um, man, I struggle with that. I think you probably do too. I, I can say though, I can testify before you and say though, it's, it works. 
I, I, I know that, um, that God is faithful, that God does execute judgment. He doesn't let the, he doesn't let the sinners get away with it forever. They, they do get theirs. In fact, even if they don't, the ones that I've met, <laughs> who by all accounts look to the world like they're getting away with it, they're the most miserable people I know. Their own hearts condemn them. And, and, and having that knowledge, having lived that, having seen these people and having known them, and having watched God mete out justice against people who really did transgress, and seeing how God, you know, orchestrated events so that they got theirs, I believe if you see that and you know that and you experience it in your life, it's easier the next time someone wrongs you to say, this one's yours, God. The other thing is, it, 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 in order to do that, right, in order to let go of things, part of it is we have to be able to speak to God. We have to be able to tell God what's up. Um, you, can't, you can't just like hold it in, right? And one of the cool things about Psalm 4 is that it's a place where the psalmist is just utterly open, being like, God, what are you doing about this? I can't handle this anymore. And being really, really honest, really raw about that emotion, about that need. And that's something we can do too. We can be real with God. And when we're real with God, then we can say, God, you know how it is. You know how I feel. You know my experience. I've asked you for whatever. Sometimes I've asked you to, to give these people their due. And then you can say, okay, go. Then it's possible not to let the sun go down in your wrath or give place to the devil where he starts to get into your heart and make you seek for revenge. It's possible when you let go and let God. The point of all of this is to say that Paul recognizes, he recognizes that the code of the brigand is, is the way the human beings naturally act, but he knows something's happened. God has jumped in. God has chosen us. God has delivered us. God has sealed us. And so because that's all taken place, he's inaugurated the future kingdom in the church. And now we have an alternative to the code of the brigands. God has inaugurated the future kingdom in the church, and we have an alternative to the code of the brigands. There's no place in our lives where the future kingdom is not there in some, in some way, and that's because the Spirit is everywhere. But the Spirit is especially pregnant, especially present here in the church. This is like the jumping off point, the, the inauguration point, the, the, the attack point for the kingdom of God. It's right here. This is like a forward outpost of, of people who are living the way that the kingdom will be in its fullest right now. And we can see the future because we're living part of it here. And as such, in this place, in this community, we can recognize an alternative to that code, to that way of doing life that is really about survival. Let's just look at, um, look at the text a little bit. Some of, some of the ways that Paul um, kind of counteracts or has like a different way of, of going about things in uh, 32 to 5.2. Uh, 30 to 5.2. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't, and the Holy Spirit is about unity. Don't break up that unity. We've got to be together. By whom we were sealed for the day of redemption, letting all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you, from you with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. Which is definitely how I was acting in that car. The, um, the rain was, was, was coming down, and um, I was so scared. <laughs> it's difficult to even put it into words, but I can tell you, I can tell you I was pounding on the steering wheel. 
um, and I was uttering words that are not fit for, for, for company um, because I was in a place of absolute earth-shaking, bowel-shaking fear. I didn't really know how to get home that well, and I couldn't see very well, and I didn't have anyone I could call. If someone had been in the car with me, I was alone, but if someone had been there, I can guarantee you, I would not have been kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Instead, I would have been angry, mean, and vicious. Because when you're in that place where you're feeling like the world is a hostile place, when, you're, when the world is hostile, it's out to get you, it's trying to kill you, you immediately go to the code of the brigand. That's how you operate. It's like point number one. It's built in. That's what the corruption of sin does to our hearts, is it makes us immediately go into that mode in crisis situations when the world is a hostile place. This is, this is utterly mad from the perspective of the person who recognizes the hostility of the world. That's why there has to be sermons. That's why Paul's telling the Ephesians to do it, because this goes so much against our natural inclination. And, and think about what, what this, it, this kind of encapsulates. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling sm- aroma. This is um, the, the offering and a sacrifice that's about Jesus. He is an offering and a sacrifice to God. Um, and like the Old Testament sacrifices, the smoke from which would give a pleasing odor to God, the cross is something like that. But think about what every single one of these, these, these attributes kind of encapsulates or embodies. It's, it's not the, the self-focused survival mode of the code of the brigand. Instead, it's an alternative. It's an, it's an altruistic, others-focused kind of mentality, kind of ethic. In fact, we could say the alternative to the, to the, the code of the brigand is an altruistic and hospitable church. The alternative to the code of the brigand is an altruistic and hospitable church. Altruism, it's the fancy word ethicists use for people who are just kind of others first. Others first. Which is a terrible way to survive on the side of the road in Japan. But, but it's not a terrible way to live in the church. The church is a special place that God has given us where this kind of living actually functions where this kind of living against all odds actually causes us to thrive. We, we've seen, um, if you look at the animal kingdom, occasionally animals themselves display altruistic behavior. Uh, the, the classic example would be like um, in a dangerous situation, uh, like maybe an alpha, uh, an alpha lion might go out and, and fight and die to give time for the, the, the pride to escape. Right? Something like that. A sacrifice. Altruistic. Looking not out for, you know, the lion's own good, but instead for the, the good of the pride. And that's what altruism is. It's, it's just others focused. I, some, there's cost to me, but there's, there's hope and benefit for everyone else. Now, when, um, when, when scientists were thinking about this, they, they, they really quickly were like, how does this work? Because it seems like if you're going to survive, as a community, then you can't have people like dying all the time to save everybody. It seems like that wouldn't, wouldn't work on the, on the long term. And yet, as we've, as we've viewed um, how this works both in animal and in human populations, we recognize that almost invariably, 
um, both the animals and the human populations tend to idolize or lionize those who put the needs of others before their own. One of the reasons that, that even people who don't know or believe in Jesus like him is because they look at him and they're like, man, if everyone were like that, the world would be awesome. Like, I mean, he really, he really did put himself second. He lived for others first. That would be rad. That would be great. And it turns out that because that's the case, it makes all the other people of the group kind of want to be like that, kind of want to follow that, kind of want to live that out. And it turns out that when you have a whole population that does that, it actually thrives. It's a better environment for everyone when, when the few are willing to have cost to themselves in order for others to, to thrive and, 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 and go forward. The church is God's vehicle for showing a hostile world what hospitability can do when it's practiced universally. Notice, notice, it won't work if only like one or two people are doing it, right? Because what will happen is um, one or two people will be like doing all the sacrifice and self-giving and everyone else will be like, this is great. Keep going. Like, oh boy, no, 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 keep, keep digging that ditch and, 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 and building those homes for me and providing for me. And it, very quickly, very quickly, the population will fall apart because everyone will start getting jealous or angry. But when everybody, when everybody starts living this way, we've seen the practice become sustainable. The welfare of the group is enhanced. So we should definitely do this. This is definitely something we, we need to do. We need to have this altruistic and hospitable church. And yet, isn't it interesting that it's so hard to find? Why? Because whether you're on the side of the road in Japan or you're in the middle of you know, the, the corporation where only the most vicious succeed, um, you have a propensity to adopt the code of the brigand. Did you know that, um, so psychopaths? Psychopaths are um, people who don't have em- empathy like, like normal human beings, um, and they're also um, aggressively self-focused. They are like the template for brigands, okay? They are people who don't care about your needs or feelings, and they are willing to kill you if they have to, if you get in the way of their, their plans. And um, they are people who um, are constantly moving forward, taking great risks to achieve their goals. They are, um, in the population at large, they're about like less than 1% of the population. CEOs, 400% higher in the CEO population in the United States of America. You are, <laughs> you are 400% more likely to meet a psych- psychopath if you're talking to a CEO than if you were talking to a random person on the street. Why is that? I suggest to you, because we have an environment that is very well suited for people to live in that way. To be aggressively self-focused and to be, <laughs> to be utterly cruel and, and heartless in the way that they treat others when it, when it suits their needs. We feel this when we do our social media. We feel this. Because social media is, uh, it's a popularity contest um, in a lot of ways. Not everyone uses it this way, but it can be used this way. Um, and even those who don't can easily get drawn into it. Because it's the person who has the most peacock feathers that wins. 
right? And so everybody starts to feel worse about themselves. And so the, 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 the perception of yourself that you put out there is the perception of everything's great all the time. My life is awesome. Or alternatively, my life is terrible all the time. You need to help me constantly. But whatever it is, it's not a real accurate conception of who you are. It's not the truth. We see it in, 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 in our social environments, the way that we backbite and tear people down when they're not around. Because that's the best way to convince other people that we're great. Um, one of the things that I'm ashamed of in my life is that when I was in high school, I started out as a bit of a nerd. Okay, I ended as a bit of a nerd, but a popular one. And the reason is, is because I found that um, I was very good at finding someone who's even nerdier than I was. And then torturing them with my words in front of other people. Just rip them to pieces. Um, and, and everyone, like the basketball team, be like, dude, that's hilarious. That's awesome. Tom, you're all right. I'd be like, yes. The code of the brigand. Tear this one down. Lift myself up. Talking trash, that is backbiting, rumor mongering, that is endemic because it, we feel like that's how we get ahead. In the text, did you notice, be imitators of God. The way to get out of the code of the brigand, the way to become a truly altruistic and hospitable church is to look at what God has done. God jumped in. God jumped in and he gave of himself, not just in Christ, but also throughout the Old Testament. Every single story is about God being relentlessly committed always directed at Israel's health and vitality and future, doing whatever it takes to get Israel to go where she's supposed to go. And then when that doesn't work, saying, fine, fine, the second person of the Trinity will descend from on high and enter into the world of humanity in all of its variegation uh, and vicissitudes, all of it, I'm going to be in, in the midst of, with you, and then I'm going to let you murder me. That's how far I'm going to go for you. That is the utter, the utmost example of the opposite of the brigand. So you've got three people on crosses, right? Two of them have lived like that. One of them is there because he gave everything for all. Which one of them was raised from the dead? The reason that God raises Christ is to vindicate him as the Lord of the world, the one who can truly pay for sins, the one who really does all that we ask and hope that God can do. That's why. And what's so crazy is, even those of us who've lived like brigands all of our lives can follow that other thief on the cross and just say, please, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that, Jesus says yes to you. He says, forgiven to you. He says, start over to you. Today, think, what must I do to stop living the code of the brigand and start living the code of the cross? 
I mean, imitate God. Give of yourself. What does that look like in practical ways in your life, in the way that you deal with the people at work, and the way that you deal with the people at church? Here's what we're going to do. Here's my commitment to you. This church and the staff and the elders, we're going to provide the opportunities for you to be in places where you can commit to people, where you can start to live these things out, live this way. We're going to provide those opportunities. It is on all of us, all of us to jump in and make those commitments and make that intentionality to people. If we do that, we can have that hospitable church, that place where human life is the way it ought to be. And that's the last thing. The hospitable church is where we can be most authentically human. The hospitable church is where we can be most authentically human. Paul doesn't say this, right? He doesn't need to, because Paul assumes it. He says, can you guys just imagine, just stop, just stop for a second with your backbiting and, your, and your, all the things that you're doing, your hatred, your lies, your stealing. Imagine what it would be like if you lived in a place where people were genuinely open with each other and weren't afraid of what would happen because they knew, they knew that they would be accepted. Imagine, imagine that people were in a place where they didn't need to seek revenge and let their anger simmer because they really believed that God was going to take care of business. Imagine a place where it wasn't just take, 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 but instead everybody collectively got together and tried to be able to provide for others. Imagine a place like that. It's intuitive. We immediately want that. We desire that. Because that's something that speaks to a deep place in our hearts. Something that's built in by God. We want to live like that. And the Spirit empowers us. Jesus invites us in. The Spirit empowers us to be that. Imagine what this place, imagine what South Orange County, imagine what the United States of America and the world would be if people lived in this way. The code of Christ and not the code of the brigands. Okay, so I'm like, I banged on the steering wheel. I went through the five stages of grief. Loss, like denial. This can't be happening. Anger, I hate that. You know, I went through all, and finally got to acceptance. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to walk. But before I do, I'm just going to just take a shot in the dark. And so I pulled out my cell phone, and I called the Kiwi Queen Kai, the Board of Education. Closed, 10 p.m. And, uh, Moshi moshi. I'm like, oh, what? And so in my halting, poor jet, Tomu desu, this is Tom. Um, Machida-san, imasu ka? Is, is Mr. Machida there? And, uh, and, and, the, <laughs> and the, the janitor, it was the janitor on the other end, is like, what? Couldn't understand a word I was saying because my accent was so bad. But he heard, he heard Tom, and he heard Mr. Machida. Mr. Machida was my, uh, my boss, and at the time, my only friend. And he became my best friend in Japan. And so he says, he says, okay, okay, bye. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh no. <laughs> All right, well, don't know if that worked. Five minutes later, phone rings. Mr. Machida. And his English is awful at this point. My Japanese is terrible. His English is bad. We're like, da, da, da. And finally, Macdonaldo, kainzu homo. Car, car, kurama, kurama, car, car, car. He's like, he's like, okay, okay, okay. Bye. I'm sitting there. About 15 minutes later, this uh, tow truck comes up. 
And then right behind it is Machida-san, Mr. Machida's car. He comes up and uh, he, he pops out and he has an umbrella with him to give me. So he gives me an umbrella and I step out in the rain and then the, uh, the tow truck guy who I'd never met before in my life, he, um, he's like, da, 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 I don't understand what they're saying and he hooks up my car and there's like this incredible thing, like it's a truck and it has like a crane that goes over and it just pulls the car up and onto the road. He shakes my hands first and then bows low, a little bit lower than you might expect from, uh, from, for, a, for a foreigner. So I was a little confused by that. And then he takes off. Mr. Machida is like, you okay? Good, because I want to get back to sleep. <laughs> like, all right, oh, thanks, Mr. Machida. Cool, cool, cool. Next day, um, I'm, at, uh, I'm at work, and uh, Mr. Machida walks in. He says, oh, Tom, I got some donuts uh, for, for the, uh, the, the mechanic. Uh, I think you should give them to him. You know, like, cluing me in. Like, maybe you should say thank you to the guy who just bailed you out, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, good idea, good idea. So I, I bring donuts down with Machida-san, and, and the mechanic is there, and, and he looks at me, and he goes... My son like English. And I was like, well, thank goodness, because if that hadn't happened, I don't know where I'd be right now. Uh, and here, so what's the point here? What's the point? The point is this. When the community sets others first, right, really, really good things happen. The code of the brigand leaves you hammering on the steering wheel and yelling awful things and planning revenge and plotting. It leaves you alone. And you might survive for a while, but it's going to be horrible. The code of Christ, as, as limitedly as it, it was in that you know, experience, was kind of there a little bit. Where there were people who went out of their way, took the extra step, they were tender-hearted, they were kind when they didn't have to be. They gave up a little bit because it was the right thing to do. How much more in the church, when we imitate God in Christ... When we imitate God in Christ, we move from surviving maybe in that hostile world to thriving in the place where humans are authentically themselves, the hospitable church. How much more when we imitate God in Christ do we move from surviving in a hostile world to thriving in a hospitable church? Let's pray. Father, we... um, We thank you for the way that you've jumped in to our experience, to our world. The way that you did not withhold yourself, but instead, in the triune God, had sent your son, the second person, to come and to liberate, to choose us, deliver us, and then, in the spirit, secure us for eternal life. God, we confess that this is a hostile world, and at times it feels like it's out to kill us. But we trust, God, that you have given your spirit into this hospitable church that is going out of its way to strengthen us. God, teach us to live that in this place. In the name of Jesus, by whom it's all possible, we pray. Amen.